0: Well, we're looking at uh, John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. In the Bible study last week that we had after the service, Jenna was telling us that when she was a small girl, she would sometimes go into her wardrobe and see if the back opened into a magical land. She had been reading The Lion, The Witch, and the wardrobe, and uh, by C.S. Lewis, and if you haven't read, let's have a show of hands of the people who have read it. Thank you very much. Those of you who have not put your hands up, this is obligatory reading. <laughs> you have to read it. It's very, very simple. It's a children's book. Um, in fact, the whole chronicles of Narnia are brilliant. The children in the story enter Narnia, this magical other land, this parallel universe, by walking into and through a large wardrobe. Pullman, in his Northern Lights series, envisages alternative parallel universes. And there are certain places where the border between that world and this world is very thin and it can be cut by a special knife. Now, I know that Pullman was trying to write an anti-religious book. He was, he claimed, trying to do a C.S. Lewis for atheism. But actually, the idea of an alternative world that is just there but invisible is one which Jesus touches on today in our days, in today's reading. You see, Jesus says to Nathanael, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In the Old Testament, one of the earliest people who we're introduced to is a young man called Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac, and he has a twin brother, Esau. They were very different. Esau loved doing outdoor manly stuff, playing rugby or ice hockey. While Jacob, he's the more sensitive type. He was more happy to stay at home and spend time on the computer. Well, he would have done, but they didn't have computers then. And Esau and Jacob didn't really get on And the problem for Jacob was that big, manly, hairy Esau is a few minutes older than him. And that means he has all the advantages. He will inherit from his father, and to him belongs the special family blessing. So Jacob, with his mum's support, because dad prefers Esau and mum prefers Jacob relationships were mildly dysfunctional in this family, sets out to deceive his father and swindle Esau of his inheritance and the all-important family blessing. It's a great story. You can read about it in Genesis 27. But now Esau is mad and Jacob has to run for his life. His mum gives him a packed lunch and sends him off to visit Uncle Laban, who lives a very long way away. But on the way to Laban, Jacob comes to a place where he falls asleep. And as he sleeps, he dreams that he sees a ladder reaching up to heaven. And the angels were going up and down that ladder. And in the dream, God speaks to Jacob. In the morning, when Jacob wakes up, He was afraid. He says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he calls the place Bethel, which means the house of God. God changed Jacob's name. He changed it to Israel. And Jacob became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And from that moment on, there were particular special places In the history of the people of Israel, where God met with his people. There was the tabernacle, the tent which accompanied the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness. There was the sanctuary at Shiloh. That is the place where Samuel was at when God called to Samuel. And there was the temple at Jerusalem. They were back of the wardrobe places. Places where the temporal visible world met the eternal invisible world. They were places where the angels ascended and descended between heaven and earth. So when Jesus says to Nathaniel, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, he is making a staggering claim. He is saying that he is now the wardrobe. He is now the knife. He is now the gateway into the eternal world. If you want to hear heaven speaking to you, you listen to him. If you want to glimpse what earth looks like from the heaven perspective, you look at what it looked like to him. If you want to see what it would be like if heaven came down and lived on earth, you look at him. If you wish to glimpse the peace and the glory of heaven here on earth, then you go to him. That is why when Jesus is around, water turns into wine. It's why a man blind from birth is enabled to see. It's why Lazarus was raised from the dead. With Jesus around, those angels are busy going up and going down, going up and going down. They're probably demanding overtime. You can imagine them saying to Jesus, give us a break, except they didn't because they delighted in doing what God wanted them to do. And because Jesus is the gateway from earth to heaven, if you want someone to take you there, you need to go to him. Jesus is not, by the way, saying that there are no longer special places. There are special places which, by God's blessing, seem to be places where the barrier between this world and that world is very thin. There are places which free us to think or wonder or where we encounter peace or something that is other. But what Jesus is saying is that if you want to go through the barrier, then you don't need to go to those places. And even if you are in those places, you still need to come to him because he is ultimately the one who breaks the barrier. Jesus came to earth to be that door, that gateway. He came to invite people to come through that door. That's what he does here in our reading. He calls Philip. We often speak of finding faith, finding Jesus. There's a great cartoon. Some of you may be able to see this. The evangelist standing outside somebody's open front door, they're saying to the occupant, have you found Jesus? And inside the house, can you just see Uh, and um, uh, 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 here I note, though, that Philip doesn't find Jesus. Jesus finds Philip. In fact, Jesus seems to go out of his way to find Philip. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. He didn't find Jesus, Jesus finds him. Now, that was quite unusual for the time. The rabbi did not usually find the disciple. The disciple found the rabbi. They would go around, they would go to him and say, Can I be your disciple? It's a bit like choosing a university or college. You do the rounds and then you put in your bid. But with Jesus, it didn't seem to work like that. On one occasion, somebody came to him like that and said, I'd like to be your disciple. And Jesus puts him off. He says, do you know how rough it's going to be? On another occasion, when the crowd want to make him their leader, Jesus goes and hides. Instead, it was Jesus who went to people and who said to them, follow me. That is why he later says to his followers, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Christianity, and this is difficult, but we need to hear this. Christianity is an exclusive club. Before you become a member, you need to hear the invitation from Jesus, or through Jesus, from one of his followers. You need to hear his voice. You need to be called With Nathanael, it's even more clear. Jesus sees Nathanael, even while Nathanael is being sniffy about Jesus because of where he comes from. Can anything good come from Nazareth? He implies, I don't know whether I should say this, but I'm going to. He implies that Nazareth was a bit of a, and you can probably imagine the word that one international senior politician might have used. But when it says that Jesus saw Nathanael and he he knew Nathanael, he describes him as being a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What we're being told is that Jesus saw Nathanael and knew Nathanael. He saw into Nathanael's heart. And he knew that Nathanael would be one of his disciples' followers. This was not Nathanael's initiative. This was not Nathanael finding Jesus, but Jesus finding Nathanael. Perhaps listening to this, you begin to worry. Have I been invited? Have I received an invitation? Does Jesus know me? Has he called me? Well, I suggest that because you are here, Whoever you are, and for whatever reason you have come, even if it is just to practice your English, if you have heard this, heard it with your inner ear, then you have heard the invitation of Jesus. You have been invited. You have been called. But like Philip and Nathaniel, you need to respond. This is the invitation to come to the back of the wardrobe to meet Jesus, to put your trust in him and to live as a back of the wardrobe person with one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. I've just been reading a very helpful book uh, on prayer called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. It's about how we live as back of the wardrobe people. It speaks of how we can come as children, as children uh, uh, to our heavenly father. It speaks of overcoming cynicism and reminds us that God wants us to ask. And it's about learning to see the pattern of God's work in our life. To see how God is writing his story on the story of our life. Today, Theo is going to be baptised. And what she's doing as she comes and as she's baptised, Romans speaks about the person who's baptised, they are joined together in baptism. As Thea is washed with the water, so her old life is washed away. It's a symbol of that. It's a symbol of her death. She dies to herself. And she is united with Jesus. And she comes up alive with him. And it's a new story for her. Of course... The story that we all have is a story that's not finished here on earth. And so Miller's last chapter is about those prayers and desires that remain unanswered here on earth. But what makes the book very helpful is the fact that he is the father of a severely mentally disabled daughter, Kim. For 25 years, he and his wife were praying that she would at least speak Those prayers were answered, and she now speaks with an artificial voice through a computer. Sometimes Kim accompanies her father when he speaks, and she says something herself. On one occasion, when Kim came with her father on such an event, Paul writes, A little girl came up to Kim as we were finishing dinner and asked, Why don't you speak? Kim leaned over her speech computer, which was propped on the table, and typed, I will have a beautiful voice in heaven. That's what it means to live with one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. But I think this passage teaches us that there's another dimension living at the back of the wardrobe. You see, when Jesus calls Philip, Philip spontaneously goes and calls Nathaniel. Nathaniel's obviously a friend. They've obviously had discussions together. But when you have responded to the call of Jesus and come to the person on whom angels ascend and descend, and when you're standing with one foot on earth and one foot on heaven, you will naturally and spontaneously want to do what Philip did. You may not know how to do it. It's interesting that later when some Greeks come to Philip, he is a rubbish evangelist. They say they want to see Jesus. Philip says, what do I do? So he goes and asks Andrew and he says, there are these Greeks here, they want to see Jesus. And Andrew goes and talks to Jesus about it. So you may not know what to say. But if you are there at the back of the wardrobe, as someone who has glimpsed Narnia, as someone who has glimpsed heaven or the hope of heaven, then you really will want to say to people, come and see, come and see the one who is the doorway between earth and heaven, come and see the one on whom the angels ascend and descend.